0: mistake we see people making over and over when they come to us is and I get it right it's like oh I did this thing in my 20s and my 30s and it worked so uh if I do that again but do more of it or do longer sessions surely it'll work they're like it's just not why not well because of the hormonal changes we experience you know if we're in our 40s 50s we're physiologically very different beings so we need to train in a different way and we need the recovery in a different way so it's about shorter, more focused workouts with more recovery time.
1: Well, that's the voice of James Davis. He's one half of the Midlife Mentors, along with his wife, Claire. He helps us midlifers reclaim control of our bodies and minds without making huge sacrifices. This is the Liz Earl Wellbeing Show, the podcast helping us all have a better second half. I'm Liz Earl and I'm sure as you know by now I'm on a bit of a mission to find ways for us all to absolutely thrive in later life by investing in our health and our well-being today. So today let's talk about getting fit. How much of a priority do you make of your physical fitness? How active a lifestyle do you have? Do you love or loathe the idea of doing exercise? Well, you know, I am not a gym bunny. I've never been athletic. I've never taken part in team sports. And for me, in the early years of my life, gym was joining a club, going to the old step class, sticking on a Jane Fonda video for those old enough to remember such things. And that was my idea of getting fit. And then I guess in my middle years, I moved away from that really, had my children, got busy with work didn't really do too much and didn't get back into fitness really until I was probably 50 and I remember meeting my personal trainer for the first time and the first words I said to him were I don't run and I'm not going to run. Well fast forward 10 years and now I do run and I do actually quite like it. I wouldn't go as far as to say I love it but I do quite like it. I don't run Very fast, and I don't run very far, but I do get out there, and just being out there in the fresh air, moving makes such a difference. Well, James and Claire are multi award winning coaches, and they're the creators of the Midlife Method. This is an eight-week transformational fitness programme designed specifically for men and women in their 40s, 50s and 60s. That is, it's designed to get maximum long-term results by tailing it around the particularly unique physiological and psychological changes that we all experience during midlife. So the important questions here, should we be lifting more weights? Do the risks of running outweigh the benefits? And what does our mindset Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, James and Claire, it's a real pleasure to have you both here, especially having been on your podcast. You're not just personal trainers, you know, you're so much more than that. Your background is in psychology, NLP, as well as nutrition, menopause health. Why do you think that it's so important here to take that broader, holistic approach to midlife health, particularly?
0: That's a great question, Liz. First of all, like we're so thrilled to be here. Great to be coming on to your show. So thank you for having us on. And that's a great question to start with. I think because when we hit midlife, whether we're male or female, there's so much going on. That we were kind of maybe aware of physiologically with the changes in our hormones, but we don't actually appreciate probably how much it's affecting us psychologically as well. And I think one of the reasons that, that both of us got into the, the personal training, the physical side, was we did come from that mindset side originally, but we realized that, you know, we're integrated beings and you can't really have one without the other. I think it's where a lot of people go wrong. They'll just focus on, I'll just go on a diet or I'll just do that new workout. Actually, you know, that might get you short-term results. But if you want the long-term change, you've got to work on the mindset as well. And I think at midlife it's it's so, so important. Cause we know things like you know, declining mm. estrogen, testosterone will affect our psychology. We can get you know lowered motivation, lowered focus. So it's important we work on those aspects as well. We should be thinking about training our mind as well as training our body.
1: That is so interesting, James. And that's actually very timely because I was out running this morning with a guy who's been working with me for the last 10 years or so. And I actually popped on my Instagram first thing saying how actually he was teaching me more about my mind than how to move my body. And it was about that mindset. It was about consistency and setting goals and doing things in the right way that was that was really shifting my mind. I mean, Claire, how, how do you approach exercise as a midlife woman?
2: Oh, well, I, I've i actually changed how I approach my exercise regime, interestingly, over the last couple of years, since I started getting perimenopausal symptoms as well. And I kind of, it's really interesting, you can know the theory, and I have done for a long time, but unless you're actually in it, you, you're not really inspired to change things up and look at how it's going to change how you approach your fitness. So for me, I actually do more resistance training now than I've ever done. Um, I've actually taken down some of the amount of cardio that I do because I know obviously that when you train at intensity, doing too much cardio, too long, too many sessions, it actually starts to impact your central nervous system it raises cortisol and actually you could start laying down body fat and negating the very thing that we're trying to do which is body composition yeah. you know i'm not trying to lose weight but at this time of life it's easy to put it on so i actually changed up my regime i started doing less cardio started doing more resistance i noticed that my muscle mass has massively increased with the amount of resistance training i'm doing i'm feeling more energized i'm not feeling so tired so that's how I approach my my midlife workouts. And like you said, that motivation, for me, it's very, very much about discipline. If I let discipline slip, even for a moment, if I let that kind of naughty yeah. inner critic voice come in and say, oh, Claire, you don't need to go to the gym today, or you don't need to do this. I'm like, no, because I know <laughs> discipline is, is the key. It's really, really important.
1: Yeah, I think one of the words that I use all the time to myself, my, my inner voice, is consistency. You know, I'm, I'm not too good, perhaps, about being disciplined. I don't, I mean, I probably am quite disciplined as an individual, but I don't regard myself necessarily as that, certainly when it comes to my fitness, because I'm, I'm not a gym bunny, I'm not a sportswoman, never have been, never played games. You know, that's just not who I am. But it is about discipline slash consistency, isn't it? Even if it's just doing a few squats in the morning, it's doing something. It's being consistent with that idea that you are going to make a difference to the way you feel and i know that we'll come back to some of the mindset and the nutrition points later on in the show but you know let's let's focus on exercise for now and james i know from talking to you before that you don't feel that this kind of standard cookie cutter approach to exercise <laughs> works really during midlife because it's so much about hormones and metabolism isn't it that we do need a little bit more of a nuanced approach as we age
0: yeah exactly that and um, uh, the mistake we see people making over and over when they come to us is uh, uh, I get it right, it's like, oh, I did this thing in my 20s and my 30s, and it worked. So uh, if I do that again but do more of it or do longer sessions, surely it'll work. But then like, it's just not, why not? Well, because of the hormonal changes we experience, you know, if we're in our 40s, 50s, we're physiologically very different beings, so we need to train in a different way and we need the recovery in a different way. So it's about i say um shorter more, more focused workouts with more recovery times so mm-hmm. you have to be aware of things like you know that our collagen's decreasing so yeah that's bad news for our skin of course but it also impacts things like our tendons and ligaments so there's increased injury risk so it's about knowing to warm up correctly wow. it's about doing that resistance training mm-hmm. whether that's at home with your body weight or if it is going to a gym and using weights to you know offset the decreasing muscle mass that we you know both men and women are experiencing it's about strengthening our bones so we're not at risk of osteoporosis. All of this stuff we need to factor in, short, intense workouts, but have that recovery time as well. And so this is where we need to understand that, that just like going on Instagram and seeing a 20-year-old and going, oh, they look fab, I'll do that. Well, they look fab, they're a 20-year-old. You know? <laughs>
1: it's different, yeah. So can we quickly just define what you mean by resistance? training i mean for me i guess i'm of that era that it means kind of going out and buying a set of resistance bands what what do you mean by resistance
2: it's a it's a really good question i think it can really confuse people so thank you for asking that question because i think sometimes we just say resistance training and expect people to know but it's um so basically our clients a lot of our clients will start out actually using their body weight for resistance so it's about weight-bearing exercise when we say resistance it's about strength like james said Mm. Um, building, maintaining our muscle mass, which is decreasing at midlife and, um, you know, creating a, a strong bones. So anything that's weight bearing and that could be using your body. So we could that's where we start with most people is just using our body weight. Mm-hmm. That can be used at home. So doing like some squats, some press ups off of a wall, doing some, you know, even getting some water bottles, for example. So you don't need need funky equipment. You can just start with some filled water bottles, do some little shoulder raises and things like that, and then build up so you could get some kettlebells are great. Some bands, resistance bands, as as you mentioned there, are really good once you start progressing and building up momentum. But resistance training is basically just making sure that you're building those strong bones, building that strong muscle, and you can start using your body weight.
1: And you mentioned perimenopause, that magical word, a little bit earlier in relation to your own journey. Where does menopause generally come into all of this with exercise and, and what we need to be looking at?
0: As women go through perimenopause and menopause, obviously what's happening is estrogen and progesterone is fluctuating wildly while declining. Now that plays a role in the body. The testosterone is also declining. The, the net effect is that um, we're naturally losing muscle mass and our bone density is reducing as well, which is why you know, there's like a massively increased risk of osteoporosis for women kind of into their fifties. Um, all the research shows, that if we're doing like weight-bearing exercise, strength training, then we're gonna actually like main, help maintain our bone density because it's putting our frame under pressure but also to some degree going to help our hormonal health. So there's a lot of research on this. When we train at intensity or we do resistance training, we can temporarily elevate things like levels of testosterone in the body, levels of human growth hormone, which is, you know, peaks in our adolescence and then falls away and does lots of great things in the body. So we kind of like push our baseline back up if we train regularly in the right way, we can kind of slow the rate of decline. So we've got a better hormonal health all round. Um, And we also know the effects that Mm -hmm. exercise has on reducing stress and cortisol, which we want to minimize. But uh, around menopause in particular, I think it's about, uh, this is where I know a lot of people struggle. If if they're not used to doing exercise, haven't come from that background, they may not want to do it. They can be inclination not to want to do it. But it's, it's so, so important. I mean, Public Health England used to say yeah. everyone should do like you know, three sessions of cardio a week, which was you know a brisk walk or, or whatever they wanted. And about two or three years ago, they said, oh, actually, everyone at over 30 needs to be resistance training twice a week. Because so we've started to realize just how important it is for our overall health. Yes, there's an aesthetic dimension to it. If we can add more muscle to our frame, it's denser. So we'll actually, you know, look leaner, our clothes will fit better if we're reducing the the body fat as well. Mm. There's a really important health side to it. It's about, you know, keeping that bone density, keeping that muscle mass, which keeps our metabolic rate higher. It's about having the energy and the strength as we get old so we don't become, you know, frail too soon. So... You know, hopefully yeah, we can reach our eighties sure. or longer and still be able to get up out the armchair and have a little dance around
1: <laughs> definitely oh yeah I'm, I'm with you on that i'm interested in in you know you're talking about how we look and what's going on inside and the, the kind of the health markers what are we aiming for here in terms of results how do we how do we test are there particular health markers you know more muscle less fat
2: yeah i think you know we want to be we want to be reducing our body fat i think the the markers are don't don't worry too much about stepping on the sad step I call it the scales like being really really obsessed with what the scales say it really should be it's not about a dress size it's not about those metrics it is about how you feel and I think we have lost connection with our with our own sense of self and our own body for so long that actually it's about getting back into how do I feel in my own skin how healthy do I feel how comfortable do I feel but the metrics aren't actually about weight you know, kilograms and things. It's actually about making sure that we do reduce our body fat because that's the thing that, you know, the visceral fat is the stuff that sits around our organs. That's the stuff that's incredibly dangerous if it's too high. So I would I would say that if mm. you're going to look at any metrics and you do know that you have some body fat to lose, that's a good metric. And you just want to reduce that slowly. And doing something is better than nothing and reducing that in some way is better than nothing. Um, so I think... For, for, from our school of thought, yes, your clothes are going to fit different. So have that pair of jeans, you know, that pair of jeans that you really want to be getting into or that dress. Use that because it's not good to be obsessing mm-hmm. too much if, from our school of thought about metrics. But if you were to look at anything,
1: look at body fat. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And James, I'm really interested in in you mentioning growth hormone just now and certainly looking at the research and how we can help to stimulate that as we age. All the personal trainers I talk to seem to love squats and firing up the glutes. And there does seem to be some connection potentially with stimulating growth hormone or growth factors. What's your view on that? Do you think we can actually do that? And is that something that we should be looking to do in midlife? Um, Yeah, we
0: can do that. The the research says we definitely can do that. Um, It's when we employ what what we call um, big compound lifts. So a compound lift is when you're doing a move. That will engage a lot of different muscle groups so yeah you reference the squat there obviously when we squat with weight we've got our whole core hold, holding the bar upright we're activating all through the whole legs posterior chain glutes so it's a massive massive amount of energy expenditure for the body another example would be something like um, a bench press or, or a bent over row you know you're not just hitting the back or the chest there's lots of other muscles involved so when we do lifts Brilliant. like that compound exercises that engage a lot of muscles then we do get these spikes in uh, human growth hormone and testosterone. The body responds to this. And here's a little tip, actually, for for men and women, our testosterone levels tend to be higher first thing in the morning. So if you can, that is a great time to train because you'll get the kind of hormonal benefits enhance slightly not to mention it just sets you up for the day as well in, in feeling great you know, sure. on to the day. I,
1: I totally agree with you getting it out of the way first thing before you even have a chance to think about it and the day crowds in you know my trainer Michael Gary he favors skipping and he you know he's got me skipping first thing in the morning which is something I never thought I'd do uh, but it seems very good for agility and bone density obviously you've got the jumping up and down you've I like it actually because I count in my head and I'm, I'm quite goal-orientated so I can count the number of skips I'm doing and I know that I'm getting better because I can do more. What sort of things do you encourage your clients to start with? I mean, Claire, for example, you know, you, you get a midlife woman coming to see you who has perhaps never exercised, someone like me who's never really been comfortable in a gym. What would you start them on? And what would you say is, is, is the kind of the way to, to, to get going and to find your mojo?
2: Yeah, it's a really good question. And we have to be gentle with ourselves. Okay, so like you said, not everyone is, is into exercise, not everyone's a gym bunny. people are very intimidated, actually, by that. And even the word exercise can really intimidate people. So I think actually, it's about just getting them out of the armchair, getting them off their sofa, and actually starting to get outside, Mm -hmm. because we know the benefits of being outside, vitamin D, it's going to lift and elevate the mood but actually just taking a brisk walk around the block. So we actually get people to start off with um, a brisk walk around the block, then build that up. And then I would then build that up to something like um, a Tabata, which is 20 seconds of really, really fast paced move, slowing it down for 10 seconds, then really fast paced move again for 20 seconds. And that's like a block of four. So there's so many ways that we can take the fear out of exercise, and actually Mm. just get them doing something that they feel comfortable with and progressing and building up. And then after that, we can start looking at things like um, high-intensity interval training. Now, that also scares people because there's that word intensity in there. But what I would say is we've worked with thousands of midlifers now, and once you've got that initial stage out of the way, anyone can do HIT because there's low intensity versions of that and it's it's basically that 20 seconds on 10 seconds off but you can actually do it inside so that's the real beauty of it you can do it inside um, you can do it anywhere you don't need any equipment and you can just build up from there so that's what I would say with the exercise the cardio side and then with the resistance training again it's that body weight stuff so just some squats Mm-hmm. just a few squats to start really engaging that mind body connection to do mm. some press-ups off of a wall so you start getting your confidence but it's about kind of nurturing that and really looking after your clients as they go through that stage
1: I love that how, how can you do low intensity high intensity I, I, I love the idea of just staying inside and doing 20 seconds on 20 seconds off at <laughs> work. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, that, that sounds like a winner to me what what, what kind of things are we doing
2: well, we're doing, instead of doing like jacks, for example, so I'll give you an example. Instead of doing jacks, which is like a high-intensity move in a hit workout, you do like, like half. Like a jumping jack. Do, yeah, jumping yeah. jacks. Mm-hmm. You do a half jack. Um, and then if you were doing um, high knees, instead of like jumping the high knees, you could just tap the high knees. And the, the way that we do with, our, with right. one of our clients is that we have videos of us doing all of that. And one of us, the beauty of um, James and I, is mm-hmm. one will do low and one will do high.
0: I was, I was going to say, I think the thing to remember with with the intensity Great. part is if you had a scale of intensity from like one to 10 with, you know, one is sat on your sofa with a glass of wine, 10s racing to the airport because your plane's about to take off and you definitely don't want to miss it. You know, depending on your on yeah. the level of fitness, you're coming to that with your cardiovascular fitness, you know, a very fit person can be at like exercising at eight and obviously they're going to look totally different doing that they'll be going hell for leather with the moves but someone who's really new and hasn't got that fitness yet eight for intensity for them they'll be at the same level of intensity but they're going to look very different so they'll be all slow down mm-hmm. and doing it it's about the main thing is like as long as you're getting out of breath struggling to to complete what we call the talk test you can't actually hold mm-hmm. the conversation that's what really matters then over time you get fitter and fitter and you can you know the intensity ramps up
1: You can do it for longer. What are your views on running then? It seems a lot of people are deciding to run a half marathon or even a full marathon, gosh, as as a kind of midlife challenge. But do the risks here outweigh the benefits? You know, where do we stand in terms of things like osteoporosis, immune system injury is that something that you encourage do you encourage your clients to run and to go for these extreme goals or not oh, i said
0: i would never I, discourage anyone from going for a goal if they—if they, if it's their goal to run a marathon then yeah absolutely you know go do it what I, I would say is over the years we've observed a lot of clients that have come to us that have done a lot of distance running and they're like oh i've got massive problems with my knees and my hips and you're like mm. yeah. <laughs> Thank okay. so i'd say I, I enjoy running short distances though. And I think again in midlife it's finding finding what lights you up and what you enjoy.
2: Yeah, I, I would I kind of wanted to jump in there as well because I'm a I'm I'm a runner, but I'm a short distance runner. So I don't do anything more than about 45 minutes because actually my knees do start to hurt. And I kind of think to myself, it's really important that use it or lose it. It's so absolutely it's about again, it's about knowing your own body and your own limits. But I do about a 45-minute run a few times a week. But like James said, what we we, what we don't want to be doing is really these extreme, some of these extreme sports that some people are doing at midlife. You do have to be super, super careful that you're not overstressing the central nervous system, that you're not raising cortisol. that You're not absolutely exhausted, mm. that you're getting the right vitamins, the right nutrition, because all that is going to support yeah. your ability to keep on doing that. So. The, the nutrition part and the supplementation part is really, really key there.
1: Mm, well, I'd definitely like to, to come on to that. But I guess that the key message here is what you were saying is you stop if it hurts. You don't push yourself. And this is perhaps not the time midlife when you're going to take up marathon running. You know, perhaps if you've come from a background of that, I mean, I've, I've had girlfriends who've done it, you know, who've, who've not run and they've decided that that's what they're going to do. But they seem to be permanently ill afterwards. And there is some research, isn't there, to show that it can dramatically impact our immune system. And perhaps that, you know, during times like we're going through at the moment, you know, we want to be protecting and building up our immune system, not not bringing it down
2: absolutely yeah, Liz. Absolutely. And I, I think that's really really important to say as well the immune system and that's why the nutrition the supplementation and the amount of rest and the amount of sleep all mm-hmm. these factors when we talk about an integrated approach it's, it's really important that we look at all of that but also i think if you are a midlifer and you want to do something like that in a marathon absolutely go and do it if that's going to set you alight and it's going to really help with your focus your mm-hmm. discipline your mental health your spiritual health then absolutely don't think that you can't do it mm. but just make sure that you are doing it sensibly and you're getting the right support and the right advice to to make sure that you're not having all these negative symptoms
1: yeah, definitely I mean your midlife method program it runs for eight weeks but presumably the point is that this all needs to become a habit it's not just about setting one goal and smashing that and then slumping back down onto the sofa we can't just exercise right for eight weeks and then never again
2: exactly exactly that's it. exactly
1: Okay, well, let's take a quick pause here. When we come back, I'd like to pick up on that point about building positive new habits, including food, of course, mindset and supplements. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. Well, as we briefly touched on, you do a lot of work with mindset, as well as physical bodies. And, you know, I'm wondering if often a lack of long term results is because of the way that we talk about ourselves or to ourselves. There's this kind of cycle, isn't there, of self limiting beliefs? Is, is that a fair assumption?
0: Uh, I'd say it's it's so fair, you know, um, as Henry Ford famously said, whether you think you can <laughs> or you can't, you're right. And um,
1: wow, I love that. That's a great yeah, quote. If
0: you, if you don't on some level and it, and it can be deep, believe that you can achieve this goal and then sustain it. So, you know, let's let's look at weight loss as a very simple example. Right. You know, the classic the classic model is someone will be like, I'm not feeling comfortable as I am. I'll go on this diet and I'll, I'll lose this amount of weight. So they go on something that's really restrictive. That will get them short-term results because it is so restrictive, but actually makes them miserable doing it. There's no attempt to actually address the limiting beliefs of, of why why they were eating too much before anyway to put that weight on. So they get to the end of the diet, maybe they hit their weight, mm. they get near it, then they stop and they rebound. And they're back up and they're like, oh, I knew I couldn't sustain it. And they go again. But the thing is, every time, every yeah. time we fail at that, then we lose a little bit more belief in ourselves. And that little negative voice becomes a little bit, a little bit louder. Ugh. So we have this part of ourselves, we, you know, yeah. we can we can call it um, part X, uh, Stoltz calls it. It's our subconscious, really, and it's trying to protect us and keep us safe. But unfortunately, the subconscious keeps us safe by keeping us in in almost in stasis. It just wants us not to grow, not to take risks, not to do anything. So if we're still like alive in the broadest sense of the word it thinks it's done a good job. So when you say, oh, well, I'm gonna change things here, it's like, no, no, don't don't change anything. Something bad might happen. It's hardwired <laughs> into us as humans. So once we can learn to understand that and recognize That's where our limiting beliefs are, it's then a question of, of changing them over time. And there's lots of tools we can use to do that. I think that is so
1: fascinating. So where we often create these cycles of limiting beliefs, presumably then we can instead choose to create cycles of positive habits.
2: Absolutely. And this is this is a fascinating research that's come out in recent years. Neuroscience has taken us so much further to look at our brain structure and actually do brain scans of practicing certain new beliefs in different ways. And again, we've got lots of various different ways, visualization being one of them, affirmations being another. But really, awareness is the first step to change. So even having these conversations, becoming aware of our own behavior and where that limiting belief has come from so actually kind of drilling it back it brings compassion and self-understanding and then from that place we can work on instilling new neural pathways so like I was saying uh, we used to think that our brain structure was fixed we had a certain personality that was just it but neuroscience says that's absolutely not the case now we can build new neural pathways and install new beliefs and that is so exciting and so fascinating because then we're free to a degree right we can, we're always going to be brought back by that, by that negative mm-hmm. inner critic but we are free to start recreating our our self-identity and our new story.
1: That is fascinating I know that you use NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming how does that fit in then as part of your coaching?
0: Um, So you can use like a a number of techniques from it. So say, for example, if we want to engineer belief change, we can leverage um, something from psychology called congruence theory, not to get too deep here. It basically states that uh, as human beings, our behaviours and our beliefs need to be aligned for us to be happy in a state of congruence. When they're not aligned, we go into a state called dissonance. And then either our belief or our behavior will change so we come back together to be in a happy state. So what ha- often happens is, you know, let's go back to that, that diet example. We'll start doing the diet, which is the action. That's our behavior. But the belief is still like lagging behind. And here's the interesting things. Our beliefs are n- 99% of the time way stronger than our behaviors. So... What we can do there is is use a couple of tools. Um, If we're doing the action, then we want to start affirming the new belief along with it, because then we're actually speeding up the process of changing the belief with it. If we're we're doing every day this action, if we're like when I'm exercising going, you know, I'm actually really enjoying this. I appreciate the benefits of it. This is great. I'm feeling amazing. You're starting to install that new belief about your like for exercise. And then after time, you know, it will come like almost unconscious. Mm. So you won't need to focus on that so hard. The other thing we can do is, is a big one from NLP is something we call future rehearsal. So there's a lot of research into this. When whether we experience something in reality or we imagine it, if we make it vivid enough, you know, the same brain centres light up. If essentially, our mind can't tell the difference. So we can put ourselves in a state where we're imagining having achieved our goals, and so we can say, oh yeah, what do I what do I look like? What am I wearing? But also we can go into real detail. What's around me? What emotions am I feeling about this? This is the key. Really anchoring the emotions to it is really key. So you're actually stepping into that future version of you, having achieved what you want to achieve. And that's tremendously powerful. You will then actually, your brain doesn't know you're rehearsing it's like well that is actually reality for me so then you can start to move towards it a lot faster it just speeds up the progress yeah Yeah. fascinating i
1: love that oh my gosh i'm just sitting here thinking right okay i've got that skin tight outfit in the wardrobe that it just sits in the back of there because it's not something i'm ever going to fit into so i need to start imagining that you know i'm Slipping into it and looking fabulous and that I've got, you know, incredibly well-toned muscles and I'm full of energy and I can dance all night and my feet don't hurt and I'm not tired. You know, by, by actually imagining that and being there, and as you say, James, experiencing the emotions, the feelings of of being in that situation is that then more likely to happen I guess is it a bit like manifesting but kind of on a neuroscientific
2: yeah exactly that yeah it is it's absolutely it's what we our thoughts create our reality so everything is that you see externally we're kind of going a bit (laughs) we when when you said about what how do we deliver this on our coaching program this is the stuff we dive into because a lot of the time we can feel powerless, especially at midlife. We can be like, oh, you know, best of years of my life are over. We, we don't feel very empowered. But this is so empowering to actually say you're the creator of your reality. So, yes, absolutely, Liz. If you're looking at that, Justin, we get clients to do mm. this. This is why I mentioned about that pair of skinny jeans or that dress. We get mm-hmm. clients and the first thing, instead of thinking, oh, how, how much weight have I got to lose? It's just visualizing that, being really emotional about it, being really yeah. grateful. Gratitude is a massive part of our program mm-hmm. and everything we live. If you're grateful for that already having happened, guess what? You're going to attract that as a reality and you're going to start behaving. If that's, if that's what you're feeling, guess what? If you're yes. going to start behaving as that person.
1: That is so empowering because we can all do it. It's a possible tool that we can all employ. It's free and it's literally just changing our mindset. People talk about changing mindset in midlife, but you've kind of got the the science and the practicalities here of, of how to do it which is, yeah, fantastically empowering. Now, another important pillar alongside, you know, the exercise we've talked about, the mindset is obviously nutrition. And I know that you pride yourselves on not advocating for severe restrictions or sacrifices. So, you know, what are the main principles that you like to follow for midlife?
0: Yeah, so um, it's moving away from that whole yo-yo diet, the boom or bust, because again, that's just not doing anyone any favours psychologically. And at midlife as well if you keep going on you know someone's ridiculous diet that's cutting out loads of food groups then you're going to end up actually damaging your body so you're missing nutrients so we take it right back to basics it's about understanding our relationship with food um you know and that food is meant to nourish us and meant to have a positive relationship with it but the best way to sum it up we would say from field or seed to table with as few steps in between as possible because the problem with most people have, they're just eating really? too many carbohydrates, but especially in you know the Western world, the wrong kind of carbohydrates. A lot of overly processed, refined, you know, um, baked goods, too much bread, pasta. Uh, not sure. only are these not great for us, they also contain a lot of sugar. So there's more and more sugar coming into our diet as well. So our whole approach is right let's eat more healthy lean protein let's eat more fresh vegetables especially like you know leafy greens stuff that grows above the ground it contains their sugars and stuff that grows beneath let's minimize Mm. all these kind of heavy what we call the heavier carbohydrates like you know your pastas your rices and stuff when we do have them let's shift them earlier in the day let's try and eliminate as many processed foods as possible but the big big one let's try and eliminate as much sugar as we can from our diet sugar is inflammatory for the brain it's inflammatory for the body, it's highly addictive, it's obviously highly calorific. There's not much to be good said about it apart from that it tastes good. So we get people to do that, drink loads more water. Most people are mildly dehydrated. And that's that's the essence of our approach. Yeah, and I
2: think also just being connected to the emotions around, again, Mm. this is where it goes back to the mindset and being more self-aware around food because our relationship with food is very complex for all of us and actually we comfort eat we eat when we're sad we eat when we're happy we eat when we're lonely and actually it's about kind of doing the work to a degree of understanding why you're being drawn to do certain things around food at certain times in your life and listen that's not always the the lovely stuff. It's not always the stuff that you want to p- put big bows on, but it's the essential stuff. But if you're habitually doing something with food, there is an underlying emotion and it's there for all of us. You're not alone. All of us have that. There will be an underlying emotion to that behavior. And it's just about unpicking about where that's come from. So you've got more compassion and then being empowered mm. to say, actually, I'm going to change that. I I'm I can change that.
1: It's so true. You know, when I've fallen off the wagon in the past uh, and then got cross with myself because of what I was eating, I kind of look back and think, what was going on around me at that time? What was triggering that? How was I feeling? What was influencing? You know, why did that happen? Because these things don't just happen randomly. There is usually a trigger, isn't there? There's usually a reason. How much does psychology then come into play when you're talking about diet and food with your clients
2: a massive amount actually um and it's really important for us to do that otherwise we're just kind of like that bog standard do a diet do it this way do it that way and i think it's really important that we do take our clients through a process of understanding those emotions that are connected to food so the psychology is absolutely massive Mm. it's a massive part of nutrition and like you said when you fall off the wagon, I tell you when that mostly happens, it's when we're in a time of stress, a huge time of stress. So going back to yeah. the mindset piece, the what we call part X or the chimp or that inner critic will go, I don't feel safe. I don't like this. This is very uncomfortable for me. So what am I going to do? What makes me feel safe and comfortable? The bottle of wine, the the chocolate bar. That's why mm-hmm. managing stress is a fundamental pillar to everything we do as well because we have when we get stressed there are physiologically it's destructive to the body but psychologically it then starts having a ripple effect all the behaviors that you start then to employ
0: yeah i was, I was going to say it's really, it's actually multi-layered so it's something like as claire's saying with stress there's actually a hormonal response there there's a hormonal driver when we're stressed Um, because originally it was an evolutionary survival mechanism fight or flight our body is then craving energy for physical action so that's why when we're stressed we'll go for the high starch high sugar foods number one there's this hormonal thing so if you can bring awareness to that it helps us control it As, as Claire said the other thing is it's seeking that comfort and safety like human beings love dopamine right and when we eat something like that, something that gives us pleasure, we get that dopamine hit dopamine hit. It's also the root of like self destructive behaviors it might be it might be the chocolate bar, it might be the bottle of wine, it might be the bottle of vodka, you know it's the dopamine hit we're seeking to give us some mm. sort of sense of release in the moment.
1: How then do we create those dopamine hits without reaching for the 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 bad stuff? How do we manage those moments when we really think, "Oh my gosh, I've just got to go?" and binge eat a whole load of chocolate eclairs or you know reach for that bottle of chardonnay how how can we stop ourselves from doing it you might recognize it but then what do you practically advise people to do
2: okay i love this question because this is when we're kind of going into some of the nlp stuff really um so actually awareness is is key okay so i know we've already said that but awareness is your power you can't change what you don't know so, and, and repeating that awareness, if that makes sense, because repetition is mastery. So keep, go, keep trying to understand yourself. Keep being very, very aware of what those behaviors are and be curious. That's what we always say, be curious. Don't start beating yourself up. Just go, oh, that's interesting. I'm doing that again. Why am I doing that? And but the main thing is you can't necessarily do that until you've pressed a pause. So sometimes we we give the analogy of the chimp. okay? so that's the reactive. It's the emotional. It's the in the moment. I want that chocolate now. So to calm that chimp down and actually just be able to press pause on it. I actually sometimes (laughs) say to clients, just press the prefrontal cortex, this tapping, because we also know about um, the tapping technique. If we can actually just pause and tap the front of our head, it just is a reminder. It's like an so anchor. Tap, so tap.
1: Okay, so take two fingers. I'm actually doing it. You can maybe hear in, in, in between the, the middle of my eyebrows. Yeah. I'm just tapping. Okay, so what is that doing? What is that doing on a, on a physical or an emotional level for it's me? It's
2: creating a break. Mm. So it's creating a moment in time where we can just stop and pause. So if you can actually use that as an anchor, we say in NLP, that's an anchor. If you can just pause for like Mm -hmm. three seconds and just remember, and again, practice, this is something that we need to practice. If we don't practice, this is never going to work. So actually just tap in that when you're wanting to go for the bottle of wine, when you're wanting to go for the the crisps or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, just tap that, pause, and just actually say to yourself out loud, pause. Come on, Liz. Come on, Claire. Pause. That's coming from the chimp. Why is that coming from the chimp? What am I experiencing right now? Is the chimp scared? Is the chimp um, anxious? Is the chimp lonely? What's going on? Becoming aware of that. And mm-hmm. then taking a helicopter view, just imagining you're going into a helicopter, taking a helicopter view down at yourself and go, okay, what would my higher self say? What would the, the human part of myself say? The one that's coming from the prefrontal cortex, the one that has rationality, that has perspective. What would that one do? What would that one say? And often, just this pause, just this action, this anchor, and this pause of awareness is enough for you to choose mm. differently and get yourself out of that situation. If you're standing yes. in the kitchen doing this, if you're standing in this kitchen, guess what? If you're standing there in front of your chocolate bar, in front of your wine, that's also going to make it a lot harder so walk yeah. out of the kitchen do that do <laughs> okay. it outside if you can in the garden
1: yes so get out of that space that's that's where, where the danger is i love that i'm i'm absolutely going to be employing that and and thinking about it taking two fingers tapping between the between my eyebrows saying okay you know why why is this happening what does the chimp feel what's the chimp doing and then zooming out with my little helicopter, looking down at the situation and, and seeing what needs to change. If someone's listening now and they know in their gut that something needs to change, but they're not quite sure, you know, what's gone wrong. You do have a midlife mentors quiz online, haven't you? What what kind of things does that take us through?
0: We do. So it, it's really short. We'll just give you an idea of kind of like maybe, maybe where there are some gaps in your knowledge at the moment. And again, I'd say like, the thing is, like none of this stuff we're taught, right? We we kind of might know, oh yeah, I, I probably should be exercising. We're not taught nutrition. We're not we're not taught. It's not discussed. We should actually be exercising our minds as well. We always take it as like, mm. oh, I, I just develop as I am, and that's it. Not we're not aware we can we can make changes. So if we don't know this stuff, we can't make changes. So the quiz is is short, but it'll just maybe highlight where there might be some gaps for you in your midlife health and happiness, and it'll give you a little report on with some suggestions of what you could be doing to make positive changes in your life
1: Mm, brilliant okay well before we go i've got to ask you well how do you guys start the day quick fire what are your kind of you know top three four five things that get you going in the morning so
2: i get up in the morning and i do breath work i do uh, meditation for about five minutes and breath work for about eight minutes meditation for about five minutes Then I get to the gym, I come home and I have a cold shower. And I know that we have cold showers, Liz, because I've been on Instagram and I'm always cheering you on on your Instagram.
1: Love it, love it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so that's that's a few of mine.
0: Excellent. James? Yeah, my thing is I'll wake up. I tend to do like a gratitude practice first thing. Just think, what am I grateful for from yesterday? What am I grateful for generally? What's my intention for the day? So that'd be kind of like centering myself. Um, then I'll go to the gym and work out often listen to a motivational podcast while I'm doing that Um, then I importantly fuel with my with my breakfast shake which is like loads of protein and stuff in it which is good to set me up for the day and then like a cold shower as well and I tend to get up early because so I think we we both do. Uh, just a real benefit from starting your day early, you know. We, we're generally like back here yeah. by like you know seven thirty, and you know, our working day start. That is such
1: a great thing, isn't it? I I know I'm genetically a night owl, and I'm trying to avoid working late, and I that is my goal for this year. Actually, is is to sort of switch my circadian rhythm if I can, if I can change things because that time, that magic time when the world is quiet and nothing yet has kind of taken over you and you you own that day don't you you've got ownership of that time and if you can grab that hour or hour and a half or whatever it is before the world wakes up it's it's a really special time james claire i i feel totally motivated and you've given us such great information It's absolutely brilliant. I'll make sure that we put all your contact details in our show notes. But thank you so much for your time today. We've we've all learnt a lot, I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Liz,
0: for having us on here. It's been amazing. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Well, a huge thank you to James and Claire. I love that. I will be tapping my middle fingers. I'm just doing it right now, actually, as I think about it in the middle of my eyebrows and thinking about that naughty chimp and what we can do to quell the negative habits. Well, if you like the idea of the tables being turned on me, well, you can listen to me talk to them about building the well Wellbeing brand and seizing opportunities in later life. And that's on their podcast, which is called the Midlife Mentors. And I always love to know what you make of the ideas that we talk about here. So do get in touch with us. We're on social media. You can find us at Liz L. Wellbeing. And of course, you can find me personally at Liz L. Me, And Instagram is my preferred platform of choice. Well, Amy has made some brilliant new habits after listening to the show. And she says, quote, I'm a long-standing reader of your magazine and listener to your podcast. I cannot tell you how many things I have introduced into my daily habits and overall lifestyle on the back of your fabulous tips and pearls of well-being wisdom. Having gone through an early menopause aged 45, I found your well-being community to be incredibly informative, enlightening and inspiring. Seeing your recent Instagram post with your daughter Lily on pond dipping, I too have embraced cold water immersion. And so... Inspired by the photo of you and Lily, I took myself off to our nearest open water swimming lake and I took a dip. Needless to say, I felt fabulous afterwards. So thank you for motivating me to, excuse the pun, take the plunge. Do you know, that is just the most brilliant news. I love the idea of all of us taking the plunge in whatever way we fancy to try new things. And of course, many of these things, like those cold showers, do give us an incredibly invigorating feeling. Well, Amy mentioned the print magazine. Just head to lizourwellbeing.com to subscribe. You can have it delivered in the UK with free PMP through your letterbox. Every other month, and there are some great subscriber offers at the moment. Just go to the website lizardwellbeing.com. This, the podcast, will be back next week. So until then, go very well. Goodbye. The Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, and is produced by Nushka Tate for fresh air production with additional production support from Ellie Smith.